Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and this time round we're doing the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how it tells us a little story from history about empires, rise and fall. So I get to talk about a whole bunch of movies, get to talk about the current state of the movie world. Also, I'll be able to tell you a little behind the scenes about listener numbers and viewer numbers for podcasters and YouTubers, things like that. And I'm also going to go a little bit into Foundation. And then, yes, I'm going to mention some pretty famous empires for your general perusal, shall we say. So, lots to be getting on with here. And you might not think, well, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that's not a bit of history. But it's actually shaped popular culture for a decade and a half. That's longer than the Beatles were around, for example. So... It's a big deal in terms of its impact globally. Billions have been generated by these movies and they're still being made. So there is an absolute legitimacy to this particular topic. So I'm going to start with one of the later bits I just did in the opening intro about YouTubers, podcasters, etc. So behind the scenes, Greg and I do have conversations about what are the most popular episodes? And if it's something that you guys like to listen to, we will give you more of it. For example, the most popular episode of 2023 was Oppenheimer, which is why I ended up going for an Oppenheimer 2, because there was legitimately more to be said about Cold War, for example, but also the movie world as well. So that's just a little bit behind the scenes. And the thing is, thanks to... Disney's success, there have been some surefire hits. So this might allow somebody like Matt Pat on Film Theory or Dan Morrell or Chris Stuckman or loads of videos and podcasters to talk about certain movies and certain topics. So if it's something that you really hold dear to your heart that you know may not make a huge amount of hits, the worry is that if you end up making three or four of those in a row, people will start thinking, hmm, this isn't the channel for me, or this isn't the podcast for me, I'm going to move off. Fair enough. But 
what you do to stop people from leaving, in theory, is go, look, here's one for me, but now here's a couple for you. Here's some Marvel. Here's some Star Wars. They're coming. Stay hidden. Or we will not survive. And this has become a problem. Because if we turn back to the year 2018, anything Marvel and anything Star Wars was a surefire hit for Disney and therefore for all of the influencers and podcasters and so on and so forth that would talk about popular culture. It was safe with the other podcast that I did called Neon, which is the forerunner of the new version of Condensed Histories. Condensed Histories came first. Greg and I did it in a very different way. Misty But then Neon taught me how to do it in a different way. And because Neon is on probably permanent hiatus, it led to me going, well, why don't we take the good stuff from that and, and move it over here? After all, I was doing the writing for both of them, so it wasn't a conflict or anything like that. But the first episode could have been any bit of pop culture. It happened to be Black Panther, a movie that grossed over a billion dollars that had an important place in diversity as we've got a black superhero in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. All that good stuff. People gave it good reviews and it got lots of hits for everybody who wanted to talk around the topic like me. I never yielded! And as you can see, I am not dead! So, there we were in 2018. But, today because of the way Disney has been acting, and because of COVID as well, these things aren't the surefire hits that they used to be, and this causes problems for people like me. Jam, why are you talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe at a time when there aren't any of these movies out? Because, going back to 2018, I would want to be pushing it out at the same time as something like Black Panther gets more hits. But the most recent at the time of recording... Marvel Cinematic Universe movie was The Marvels. Yeah. I'll be coming back to The Marvels or Marvels. Is that the thing? Anyway, the problem was not its name. The problem was so many other things. And this is the thing, and I'm going to bring in a little bit of history here. Because in the years, particularly 2018 and 2019, in between the two Avenger Infinity Wars and Endgames, these movies just couldn't go wrong. Not all of them were awesome. I would say a lot of Marvel Cinematic Universe movies are four-star. They're a rip-roaring roller coaster ride, and they're a lot of fun. But they're probably not. And I and this is I had this conversation with somebody online. Somebody was talking about how much fun they had with Thor Love and Thunder. And also Thor Ragnarok as well. And I said, well, clearly Love and Thunder isn't the same quality as Ragnarok. But I then added, but even Ragnarok isn't going to be talked about in 20 years' time. And they went, well, how could you possibly say that? And to be fair, they are technically right. I cannot see into the future. But when you look at the movies that people talk about from 20 years ago, or let's say even 15 years ago, people talk more about The Dark Knight rather than the first Iron Man film. 
And there's just nobody who's going to say, and this is why I'm willing to stick my neck out on this, people talk about the Godfather or the usual suspects. You get the idea. Movies that are genuinely handcrafted, visionary pieces of cinema. And the third Thor movie doesn't really fall into that category. I like Taika Waititi, and I really enjoyed Thor Ragnarok. But to really understand that movie, you need to see a bunch of films beforehand, and a bunch of films after it, and it's a fun roller coaster ride. But it ain't going to be troubling Citizen Kane or Casablanca anytime soon in the AFI Top 100 movies, and that's the point. They're relatively disposable, lots of fun, and they cause a big ripple back in pre-COVID days, certainly. And just going back to 2018, 2019, Disney just couldn't get it wrong. When I did the episode on 100 Years of Disney, I pointed out that up until Disney did it, movies globally were unlikely to have more than $5 billion movies in a year. And... Disney had six. They technically shared a seventh one with Sony. That's one of those Tom Holland Spider-Man films. And then there was an eighth one, which was the Joker movie. So you got eight movies grossing over a billion dollars. Disney just could do no wrong. So many people going to the theme parks because they had been re-energized by all the content. And it wasn't just Marvel. It wasn't just Star Wars. It was also things like the Lion King reboot or the Aladdin live action. All these things are just making Disney money hand over fist. And particularly when you compare the the Marvel Cinematic Universe to the DCEU, it was embarrassing. Going again back to The Dark Knight, it's sort of being forgotten by a lot of people that The Dark Knight came out in the summer of 2008, which was the same summer that Iron Man came out, the first Robert Downey Jr. movie. Now, which one had more impact on superhero movies. Actually, long term, it was Iron Man. But which one got the better reviews at the time? Which one made the most money? Dark Knight is the first comic book movie that grossed over a billion dollars. And it is in the IMDb top 20 movies of all time. In fact, somebody might turn around and say, actually, Jem, it's in the top 10. Maybe it is, but the point is, Iron Man isn't. It's a better product. But... While Nolan did make three very good Batman movies, we can argue about the quality of the last one, but it's still incredibly ambitious, he then stopped making them. And then we've got Man of Steel, and then we've got the Zack Snyder movies, and yada, yada, yada. There were some high points there. I'm looking at you, Wonder Woman. I'm looking at you, Joker, and the Batman. But two of those films aren't in the DCEU. And in the meantime... You had the Marvel Cinematic Universe pulling together for the first time these ongoing chain of movies. And as I said, walking out of Avengers Endgame, I just witnessed a piece of cinema history that really, not only is it a good film in and of itself, but it was the culmination of more than 20 other movies where all these characters, it was an amazing juggling act. If you'd never seen any of the other films before, I'm not saying that it would have been completely satisfying, but you'd get it. Good guys versus bad guys. But if you had seen Ant-Man, and you had seen Thor Dark World, and you had seen Iron Man 2, all these things together made it so satisfying that 
it's like, wow, look at the people that I've really enjoyed. And the kiss-off line from Robert Downey Jr. about I am Iron Man. taking his character full circle because that was the last line from the first movie. Genius. Amazing. And for a while, biggest grossing movie of all time. Beaten by a re-release of Avatar again, which is also now owned by Disney. So, nothing could possibly go wrong for Disney by the end of 2019. But then, in 2020, everything went wrong. And it's worth exploring this, because this is where we can pull it into the world of empires. Because when empires are at their peak, it looks like nothing can make them go wrong. And yet some of them evaporate very quickly, and others have these slow, agonizing declines. And I've done this several times. I'm reading a book, particularly with the Eastern Roman Empire, the Byzantine Empire, it is so obvious how it is going wrong, and you just need a strong leader to make some tough choices, and you can stop the rot. But nobody wants to stop the rot. Nobody has the guts to do it, or has the skills to do it. There are too many vested interests, and it just becomes an exercise of frustration. Reading it is like, oh, and they make the same mistake, and then they've got less, and then they make the same mistake the next generation, and now they've got even less, and here comes that mistake again, and so on and so forth. And I would compare the Marvel Cinematic Universe to any of these empires. And of course, when it comes to movie genres, they're not going to last as long as the Roman Empire. But when you're at the top, you have further to fall. And it is fascinating that when you get to something like the British Empire, by the time you get to the turn of the 20th century, the British Empire is the biggest empire the world's ever seen, there are no clear and present threats to it. Indeed, the first major threat to it in the 20th century is the German Empire in World War I. Britain wins. So you would think that everything was hunky-dory in Britain. But if you look at the literature of the time, the writers of the time, everybody knows that the Roman Empire fell. Everybody knows that no empire lasts forever, and everybody recognises we're at the top, guys. There's kind of only one way to go. And within a generation, generation and a half, it goes from being the biggest empire in the world to Britain is fundamentally bankrupt and needs to be bailed out by its ex-colony America. And while it may be on the winning side of World War II, it certainly doesn't win World War II because immediately after it, it starts losing imperial possessions and it's just flat broke. It is a shadow of its former self just 30 years after the echoes of World War One, Yes, everybody was aware of that. People, people knew about that. But when it came to Disney, they're basically making the same mistakes and are far less, seem to be far less aware. They started thinking, and, and you get this so often in history, they start thinking that they're guaranteed success, that, they, that they're definitely going to keep going. So breaking down some of the problems of Disney will let you into some of the problems of history. So first of all, there are completely unexpected outside consequences. COVID. But do you know how many empires and rulers have been undone by a period of famine or a period of some kind of upheaval that they couldn't see politically internally, like the Protestant Reformation? 
or it could be the founding of the Americas. Moctezuma of the Aztec Empire, and it is worth remembering that he was not in charge of one homogenous nation. He was an emperor himself. He had no idea that the Spanish were coming, but they did. And the rest, as they say, is history. So you could have the best plans in the world and just be undone by bad luck or the weather or biology. COVID is an example of something that Disney couldn't have planned for and it shouldn't have planned for. It should not have been putting, let's say, $500 million a year in some rainy day slush fund because you never know when there's going to be a global pandemic. There hadn't been one anything like that for a century when, ironically, Disney was not quite being created. So that's not their problem. But almost by good luck, they happened to have created Disney Plus just before COVID, and it became a go-to site. And they had already announced that there were going to be both Marvel and Star Wars TV shows. The problem comes that if I want to watch movies, I just want to watch a movie. And the thing with the MCU is already by 2019, there were times when movies half finished or set things up for the next movie. I was basically paying for a very expensive serialization of a TV show. Now, I didn't begrudge the money because I was having fun seeing Captain America Winter Soldier or whatever. But... If you've told the story and everything culminated with Avengers Endgame, what's coming next? And the problem with Phase 4 is there was too much writing on it. First of all, everybody needed a breather. I think, and, and this is what people are saying now, if Disney had just stopped making all Marvel movies for two or three years, we would have missed them and we would have liked them when they came back again. But we're immediately into Phase 4. But also, some of those Phase 4 movies are not coming out into the cinema, or if they are, cinemas are barely open, and is it worth catching a disease that killed more than 10 million people worldwide to see a Marvel movie that's not getting 5 out of 5 star reviews? One of the first ones was Black Widow, which was a real mistake. That film, if it had come out three years earlier, would have cleaned up at the box office. I think it would have made a billion dollars, but seeing... Black Widow, Scarlett Johansson, after we've seen that character die, we know what's going to happen to her. The film itself is set before the events of the Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. It just felt a bit hollow. We know what's coming next. This is a very big budget sign-off. In the end, it got pulled from the cinemas because of COVID, and Scarlett Johansson ended up having to take Disney to court because part of her contract was how much money it made in the box office reflected on how much she was paid for the project and part of that was never Disney Plus. I'm not going to go any further than that because it was settled out of court. I can't tell you what happened next but the fact that your star is suing your studio isn't a good look regardless of what happened next. So that was the first warning shot but everybody brushed that to one side. We've then got Chung Chi and we've then got The Eternals but the problem with those movies is with Shang-Chi, that was actually a lot of fun. The same guy who was in Kim's Convenience is now playing a bit of an everyday schlub. It's almost like it's the fantasy sequel to Kim's Convenience, although he doesn't literally start in a convenience store. He does start in a very everyday way. 
but by the end of it, he's a child of destiny, fighting a spirit dragon, and I had a lot of fun. The fight, because Simu Limu, he was not only an actor, but he's also a stuntman, so he can do a lot of his own stunts, and the fight in the bus is a great fight, with references to Jackie Chan and John Wick. Clearly, the stunt work there was being very reverential and having a lot of fun, and it's probably the best martial arts in a Marvel Cinematic movie. But it didn't feel really connected to anything else. Yes, we had a character come in from the Doctor Strange movies, Wong, but he's not hes not exactly a key character. It's not like Spider-Man turned up. Mind you, that would have been weird if Spider-Man had turned up. But anyway, it did okay. It probably had one of the best reviews of Phase 4. But Box Office wasn't there. It wasn't Avengers-ing it. It wasn't Iron Man 3-ing it. That was the first non-Avengers movie to gross over a billion dollars. Captain Marvel had grossed over a billion dollars. Black Panther had grossed over a billion dollars. Thor Ragnarok, number three, after the very ropey number two, that grossed over 700 million. Shang-Chi just wasn't in the same territory financially. Quality, I would say yes. Meanwhile, back to Disney+, Plus, we have things like WandaVision, which was really exciting. I did a whole episode on it. Lots of people watched it. There was a bit where we thought we were going to have the Quicksilver of the other universe coming in, and it just turned out to be a joke about his surname, which was fabulously, profoundly both disappointing and also a complete waste of a cameo. No point whatsoever. That had a lot going for it. But again, the rot's kind of setting in. It was fun, but Agatha was not a character that people wanted more of, but Disney decided, let's do that. Then we've got The Eternals. Now, we've already got a TV series coming out. Who thought that a movie introducing 10 new characters who have been with humans throughout the entire civilization, there are scenes in ancient Babylon, like 4,000 years ago, who thought that introducing 10 characters over thousands of years should be done? There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com 
slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. In a two-hour movie. Doesn't work. Put it into a TV show. But then again, would Angelina Jolie say yes to a TV show? And the other problem is these movies, as they start underperforming, Disney starts panicking. Don't panic! Don't panic! Hush! Jumping forward, I'm not going to go through every single one of these movies, but you get to something like Ant-Man 3, Quantumania, it's a bit of a chopped up mess. You can tell that people have been interfering with it. It didn't help that Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness came out about the same time as Everything Everywhere All at Once. Now, they're actually very different films, but when this very low-budget kind of indie film does multiverses, better and more entertainingly than a $250 million behemoth, well, you're doing something wrong there, Sam Raimi. It had its moments, but again, these movies are not grossing what they used to, and they're not getting the reviews that they used to, and the buzz is just going. Year after year after year, people are waiting to be excited about these movies. It's just not happening. But then in the meantime, on TV... With WandaVision and then Loki, these were appointment viewing, and that's why I did an episode on each one of those. But then we get Hawkeye. I never got to the end of that series. People said it was pretty good, and it, you get glimpses of Daredevil returning and Kingpin. Okay, but that's not worth hours of my life. Then there was She-Hulk. Oof. Why are you talking to me like I'm a stray horse? You know, it's a comedy. I get it's a comedy. You either find it funny or not. I didn't find it funny at all. The real problem, though, is, and to be fair, in the comics, She-Hulk does break the fourth wall like Deadpool. But they really took it to the extent where they then turn around and say that all this stuff is written by AI. That's kind of prescient, isn't it? And then have her beat up the robot so that she can win the day without actually involving in the fighting in the TV series. That's a real problem. You put her into a movie and you watch the TV show? At what point is she going to stop Captain America in their tracks and wink to the camera and say, don't worry, we'll have this done in 15 minutes? That's not a good idea. And the other problem that's been coming up is some people on the internet have been responding to the diversity issue. It's Disney gone woke now. I think Disney does have a problem in this area, but don't worry, I'm not suddenly about to become a right-wing crazy person. I think diversity is important. If you don't see you on screen, you don't believe that you have a place in society. I think that's really important. 50% of the global population is women. Why don't we have 50% of superheroes as women? That's absolutely fair. We can talk about sexual orientation, we can talk about races as well. Fine, let's let's have everything up there. I think it is a bit more problematic with sexual orientation. Who are you aiming these movies for? 
Because if it is a bunch of 10-year-olds, they don't care about anybody's sexual orientation, straight or otherwise. They just want to see fighting. I don't need to know if Batman is straight or gay. I just want to see Batman doing stuff. But more importantly, if it's rated PG-13 or 12, it's just irrelevant, okay? Don't dwell on it. But you get something like Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, the animated movie from 2023, and the only white straight male character in it is very much a secondary character, Peter Parker. Everybody else is of a different ethnicity or different orientation, and it's all the better for it. At no point you sit there and go, oh, this is too woke. You can't do that because it's just incredibly high quality. What they have decided to do with that film is make a really good movie, beautifully animated. I personally think it's the best animation I have ever seen, which knocks Akira down to number two, in my opinion. But anyway, it is brilliant. I have no notes for it whatsoever. Problem with Disney is that you get things like, oh, the live-action Beauty and the Beast is going to be the first time we have a gay character. Really? Did it need a gay character? Well, it turns out to be LeFou, the sidekick of Gaston. And how do we know he's gay? Because right at the end of the movie, everybody's dancing, and he ends up dancing with a man, and he smiles. Wow. If you were in the LGBT community, you've waited a long time for not a lot. Also in Jungle Cruise, you have one character who comes out as gay. In one scene, it's never referenced at any other time, and it's in one scene that can be easily excised for the Chinese market. Okay, so Disney, are you trying to be positive towards LGBT lifestyles and world viewpoint, or are you trying to just take the money from China? Because you can't do both. Pick a side. And so this is the thing. If the best thing you can say about your movie is how diverse it is, it's fundamentally not a very good movie. I would like to hear about the amazing script, the brilliant acting, and if the characters just so happen to be gay, trans, whatever. Fine, great, I don't care. The flip side of that is the John Wick movies because they're quite old-fashioned in the style of 80s and 90s action movies. There are people of colour and different orientations, different genders as well in the movies, that is true, but the key character is a white straight man. And the main person he interacts with is Winston, who is a white straight man. And nobody comments on this. Nobody says that it's too old-fashioned, it's not diverse enough or anything like that, because people are blown away by the action. What counts is the action. Now, particularly in John Wick 2, when he fights a short-haired female, you might say that's great representation, but there's just physics going on there. A sort of hundred-pound woman versus John Wick... It just doesn't have the leverage to get him to the ground, particularly when they're hand-to-hand -hand fighting. So it's not, will John Wick win, but when will John Wick win? And yeah, he dispatches her with relative ease, considering she's the main henchman in John Wick 2. I digress a little bit there. So, whereas I would say that the problem that Disney has is sometimes they seem to be a little bit more worried about, are we looking good in terms of diversity rather than are we making sense with a movie just make a good movie and everything else will fall into place after that going back to the marvels there are a lot of people who seem to be angry at the fact that it's a black woman who's directing a comic book movie that is not the problem i've seen her interviewed she knows her comic stuff i've seen her version of candy match she's a talented director problem is she made a movie 
Then Disney got their hands on it, and clearly the Marvel machine just started chopping it to pieces, and you end up with an incoherent mess. One other thing is that some people have said that the banter in the Marvels between Nick Fury and Captain Marvel is great and reminds you that they've known each other since the 1990s. That's true. That's valid. They do kind of sparkle off each other. Clearly those two actors are enjoying themselves. But, hey Disney, less than six months before the Marvels came out, Nick Fury was in Secret Wars when he was in a very dark place, and that character throughout that series was unfunny, quite sullen, quite beaten down. It wasn't a very good TV series, but what do you want me to do? Do you want me to watch all the stuff? In which case it has to hang together. People do not just change their complete personality in six months. Less than. And this is taking place after Secret Wars. It's quite clear that's the case. Or are you just going to do whatever you want in each TV show and movie, in which case I don't need to watch everything, I don't need to be a completionist. That's the problem you've got. And that's got nothing to do with the directors or the actors involved in the film. So Marvel is facing a problem. The magic has worn off. Seeing these movies aren't essential anymore. Because of Disney+, Plus, everybody knows that six months later, it'll be on Disney+. Plus. And if I'm already paying for Disney+, Plus, why should I pay any money to go and see it in the cinema if it's only getting a two- or three-star review? I can wait six months to see an average film. I've said it before, I didn't go and see Ant-Man 3 in the cinema. I saw the other two in the cinema, but on this occasion I thought the reviews are pretty awful, and when I did finally see it, I thought, wow, that's a really mediocre film. So now we have a problem for Disney, and... They don't know what to do, clearly. They have said they're going to slow down content, but slowing down is not the same thing as stopping. Just check your highway code to, to prove that point. Personally, I would put all my money into two or three films that wrap things up, turn it into a trilogy, give people what they want, but lead it up to... It will never hit the heights of Avengers Endgame, but have, let's say, one TV show and two movies saying this is wrapping up these characters for the time being. We're going to put them all into holding patterns in various places, but we're wrapping up their stories like they did with Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which is probably the best one from Phase 5. And then leave it a few years. Let people miss it. And then start bringing stuff back. But it also gives you enough time to think about what you actually want to say rather than we need to get a new Thor movie out. So, that's the situation with Marvel. Now let's go back to the empires. As I said, some evaporate quite quickly, some less so. Weirdly, the two biggest empires of all time, the British Empire and the Mongol Empire, both of those, even though they covered so much territory and were actually very different beasts in terms of not just technology, but just outlook, both of those evaporated very fast. In the case of the Mongols, because they were these nomadic people, they didn't really imprint their cultural personality on their conquered peoples. It's a forgotten fact that you get the Mongol Empire split into various different gigantic administrative areas. You get things like the White Horde and the Golden Horde, and another area called the Ilkhanate, which covers a lot of Iran and a bit of Iraq as well. The Ilkhanate was never conquered by anybody. 
it's just the Mongols bred into the local population. The Mongols became Muslim. The Mongols ordered mosques to be built in the style of Persian mosques at that time. Whereas at least with the British, they tended to build things the British way when they went around. But, as I said earlier, because of World War II, the British resources were completely drained. And once you have British Imperial India being split into three countries of India, Pakistan and Bangladesh, that is the jewel in the crown gone. And after that, it's just dominoes falling, be it Ghana, Kenya, etc. You have the start of the end of the British Empire in 1947-8. Let's say by 1950, suddenly you're seeing a rapid decline. And by 1990, nobody really thinks Britain's got an empire. Technically, it still does today. Things like the Falkland Islands and Gibraltar, but is that really an empire? Come on. Once you go in 1997, the return of Hong Kong to China, I think we can say that's the end of that sentence about the British Empire. However, with the Romans on the west, it took about a hundred years. On the east, it took a thousand years. It's fascinating looking at what happened next with the Byzantine Empire. Now, just to let you know, the Byzantine Empire is an insult. Nobody used that term locally. They called themselves Romans till the absolute end of the era. What happened was, it's traditional in Britain for people to say the Romans left in the early 400s. Well, Romano-Britain was an actual thing, so the Romans didn't leave. They'd been interbreeding with the Brits for centuries. A number of emperors were born or raised in Britain. Somebody like Constantine was, for example. Anyway, round about 410 AD, the legions, the, the military units of the Roman army, leave to fight a civil war, but the plan was always to come back. But because things was just declining and declining and lurching to worse and worse states, they don't ever come back again. And really, the 400s are just a series of decline and decline and decline. These various waves of immigrants, of different peoples coming into Europe. They could be called the Alans, they could be called the Huns, they could be called the Goths. All these people are coming in, and because the Roman Empire has less and less resource and are now in a state of constant warfare, sometimes kind of smartly, they even ally with some of these people and use their power to fight a new wave of invaders. But then the people who helped you will want to be paid. And if you can't pay them in gold, you're going to have to pay them in land. And that's how France became France, because it was originally called Gaul, full of Celtic Gauls. The Franks were people who came in from the east, mainly from modern day Germany, which was across the border from the Roman Empire. So that's what's going on in the in the west. And it pretty much fizzles away by 500 AD. But in the east, it's in rude health. You get somebody like the Emperor Justinian in the 500s, and he builds Hagia Sophia, San Sophia, now known as the Mosque. But it was originally the, well, it was for nearly a thousand years the largest church in the world. So that's pretty impressive and a sign of how much power he had. He sent his general Belisarius to reconquer North Africa, which he did. He went into the Italian peninsula and reconquered that, including capturing briefly Rome. The local warlords and chieftains on Italy were so impressed by Belisarius, they offered him to become king. He turned them down. He was a really cool guy. So things are looking well, but Justinian was the last emperor who spoke Latin. 
also at the time there's Justinian's plague, which seems to potentially be some Black Death type bubonic plague that wiped things out. Also, there was a massive earthquake as well in Constantinople. But there's only so many things you can do when you're one man. It shows you the wealth that he was able to rebuild after that. However, after that, the emperors are Greek. There seems to be regular bouts of civil war like there had been in the Western Roman Empire. And at the same time, once we get into the 600s, we get the expansion of Islam, which starts wiping out huge tracts of areas that have been traditionally under Roman rule, places like North Africa, Middle East, you know, the places where there's lots of Muslims today. And so the Roman Empire shrinks quite rapidly at that time. And by the time you get to the First Crusade, there are some people, me included, historians who think one of the reasons why the First Crusade happened is because the Byzantine Emperor wanted Western heavy cavalry to fight the Islamic light cavalry and to reclaim various Byzantine lands. As I said, Byzantine is technically an insult because there was a small fishing village called Byzantium that got flattened and then turned into Constantinople. So by calling it Byzantium, it's the West saying it is diminutive, whereas in the East, they absolutely called themselves the Eastern Roman Empire or just simply the Romans. So the First Crusade did work for them, by the way. The whole of Anatolia was reclaimed as part of the Byzantine Empire, so things were looking good for a while. By the Fourth Crusade in 1204, the Fourth Crusade, for various reasons I don't have time to go into here, ends up attacking and taking over Constantinople. So you'd think that's it, game over for the Byzantine Empire. And for 50 years, you get the Latin Empire of the East. But then that gets overthrown by remnants, descendants of the Byzantine royal household, which had been holding out in a place called Trebizond, which is in modern-day northern coast of Turkey. They come into the play, kick out the Western Latins. So in the mid-1200s, this empire that had just simply hadn't existed for a couple of generations is back again. But it got back again by asking for loads of favours, principally from the trading powers of Genoa and Venice. So these people now really had a stranglehold on trade, and that was how the Byzantine Empire made its money. But it wasn't making nearly as much revenue as it should be from trade. The problem the Latins had is they didn't really understand trade the way that Constantinople did, and just thought that the money was in the land farming. Because that's what you would do in France, for example. That is not the way you make money in modern-day Greece or the little part of Turkey that exists on the European continent. So... They come back and they last for another 200 years until you get 1453, Mehmet II of the Ottoman Empire, age 21, he besieges Constantinople, which has been besieged more than a dozen times by so many different cultures and civilizations. The Fourth Crusade technically wasn't a siege, it was more of a sacking and they kind of got in by various nefarious methods it's it do doesn't count if you like everybody agrees it doesn't count the time when the walls actually fell and the enemy swarmed in that's the ottomans 1453 and that is seen as the end of the byzantine empire but what's interesting about that is that the last emperor constantine the 11th if you look at his coinage it just looks like mud splats it was so debased he was so poor he was calling himself a Roman emperor. The only thing he had any control over was Constantinople and the immediate farmland around it. You go 10 miles further away, not his territory. That's Ottoman territory. 
by the time you get into the 1400s, the Ottomans are trying several times to, unsuccessfully to besiege it before 1453. Just the hinterland beyond the walls is now somebody else's territory. It is ridiculous, ludicrous how little they had by then. And it's kind of remarkable they hung on for so long, but they just didn't know how to play the game. And so Disney... I would implore you to look at some history and see the dangers that just because you're on top doesn't mean you always get to stay there. Every empire falls, but in the case of something like the Byzantine Empire, you can make a comeback, you know. So there is still hope, and I would love to see some really good Marvel movies and Star Wars movies and things like that. There is some hope. There was some really good stuff in Ahsoka, for example. But... I think people, every, everybody needs a breather. We've had so many superhero movies. Even in 2023, there were six of them. And most of those you probably can't even name. And that's the problem. There's too many of too many different types of quality. And nobody wants to see origin movies anymore. Nobody wants to pay good money for two hours of setting you up for future films. That worked in the 1990s. It doesn't work today. And so with that thought, I'm going to always say, please click subscribe, please tell a friend. Hopefully this is going to be quite a popular one. And as always, you can reach out to me on Twitter and threads as well. I'm at Gem Deducci there. Love to hear your thoughts. What's your favorite Marvel movie? What's your favorite superhero movie of all time? For me, it's going to be Dark Knight for the record. And as always, another episode coming soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.